welcome to the Retro Blood. You are all my children now. You want to know what happens to an eyeball when it gets Welcome back everybody to the Retro Blood as we continue our months-long discussion of all things Universal Monsters. Up next, we have a deadly priest with one eye battling a kid in a, in a, a super sporty wheelchair flying through the night and we have uh, all things creatures of the night all moons howling because we are talking all about werewolves. We're talking all about Stephen King's Silver Bullet. J.A. Allison, James Klein, back here on the Retro Blood, talking a really good werewolf story. How you doing, Allison? What's happening? How you feeling about this man, Silver Bullet? Man, I'm feeling great. Um, I love werewolf movies. Um, I am part werewolf myself. So I, I love to watch anything about werewolves or wolves in general. And I'm really glad we got around to doing this movie because this is this is something special. It really is. Yeah, I would say so. Werewolf movies to me are pretty uh, fascinating. You know, it's a very legendary creature. You know, it's a pretty simple, simple style creature. You know, you got a man or woman who's been affected. Probably, usually they're bit by a wolf. And through being bit by like a wolf or a creature, they every time the moon comes out, they turn into a bigger wolfman version of themselves, I should say. <laughs> right. <laughs> so it's a simple like concept, simple creature, but it is pretty scary because a lot of times, and this movie didn't really uh, explore that part, but then a lot of times, you know, people who turn into werewolves and stuff, they don't even know that they're doing it. It's like, it's kind of like a thing that just happens. Like, they'll black out. They don't remember anything they did when they were a werewolf. They just wake mm-hmm. up the next day perfectly fine, knowing there's blood on them. They know something's wrong, but they don't know what they did. So they can't really help it. It's kind of like a disease that they have that they can't really help. You know? This yeah. this movie did, like, a little bit of different spin on it, which I appreciated yeah, yeah, because he he seemed to clearly know the whole time that he that what he was. Yeah, yeah, and he did it for like uh, religious purposes. So, but we're going to be talking all about Stephen King's Silver Bullet here on our Universal Monster Month. Um, but you know, before we get into the movie, I always like to talk about the history of what was happening around the release date of Silver Bullet. Uh, we, you know, we'll also be talking about the original story by Stephen King as well, too. But let's talk a little bit about the history stuff, like we always do on every Retro Blood episode. Oh, yeah. So, this movie was released in October 11th, 1985. And it just so happened that on our last episode, when we did Transylvania 65000, it was in November 
1985. So we are still in the same year and roughly around the same months, which happens sometimes, you know, when you do reviews like us. True. And yeah. Yeah. So, you know, last episode, we were talking a little bit about, um, you know, Tuesday Night Titans. We talked a little bit about the wrestling album. We talked a little bit about, a little bit about Wasp. You know, so a lot of stuff has happened around the similar time. And this episode won't be that much different because I have another fantastic review of Tuesday Night Titans. Oh, I'm looking forward to this. It's crazy because I feel like half the retro, like every time we do a 1985 episode, like there's always a Tuesday Night Titans that lines up with the movie. It just so happens to be like that. It's crazy. But actually, like I said before in the show, like I I kind of like this Tuesday Night Titans. It's just a very interesting concept. And the show is actually not that bad. You know, they show little wrestling matches. They have a little, they take the wrestlers out of their comfort zones and stuff. And boy, there's some, there's some fun stuff on this one. So I say we'll talk about Tuesday Night Titans first, and then we'll get into some of the metal that we found, brother. Hell yeah. Allison, did you get to watch any of this Tuesday Night Times or no? Yeah, I did. I actually watched, mm, no, I would say I watched most of it, but I was really kind of running around doing some stuff okay. uh, while it was on. But I did see uh, the Tito Santana stuff and the Hart Foundation stuff. Did you see the Jimmy Hart live performance? And I saw Jimmy, yes. Oh, God, that's fantastic. <laughs> we'll get into it. Oh, that warmed my heart. That warmed my yeah. cringy heart. All right, so we started off Tuesday Night Titans. And it's kind of weird. Like, so, you know, this obviously aired, it had to air on Tuesday, right? Because it's Tuesday Night Titans, right? I mean, I assume so, yes. I so assume that the show aired on It's crazy Tuesday. that a lot of these horror movies come out on a Tuesday because, you know, nowadays, like, almost every movie or horror movie comes out at least on Friday. Yeah, so I'm not 100% sure. Like, this is a historical thing that I don't know. Yeah. I don't know that. I don't know that the release dates we have for some of these movies are are a hundred percent to the day. I got you. Because because back then, um, I think I've mentioned this before, but back then they basically cycled prints around, mm. so like you wouldn't, everybody wouldn't get the movie at the same time. So I'm guessing the tenth, or yeah, the tenth. I think is what it was. It was the tenth is. The eleventh, excuse me. The eleventh was just the day that it got shipped out to the first theaters, maybe. Gotcha. Which would make sense because you'd ship a movie out on a Tuesday and they would get it by Thursday and then get it ready to go on a Friday. So it may not have actually started playing in theaters until that Friday, but I honestly can't remember. Um, I mean, I never knew. I mean, my whole life my whole life of like going to the movies on my own movies came out on a Friday for the most part, you know, like on big holidays, big movies will come out on a Wednesday sometimes like, you know, from Memorial day weekend or whatever. But, but yeah, I mean, I always remember movies coming out on a Friday as well. Yeah, um, exactly. But then again, music CDs used to come out on a Tuesday and now they come out on a Friday. So things change. Yeah, that's true. I just thought that was really interesting, but um, let's start off the Tuesday night Titan show. You know, I like always we get, Vince McMahon doing his best David Letterman. It's just crazy to think, like, you know, like, so during this time, this is 1985, this is, like, right when, you know, Hulkamania is running wild. This is, like, right, right, like, we're on the, the pinnacle of it to blow up. I, I think, I think, um, WWF, you know, they were big during this time, 1985. But it wasn't until, like, 96, 97, when they really were, really, like, going strong. You know what I mean? 
So right. it's really interesting to see like McMahon and this whole like talk format and everything. And so we, our first guest is Don Morocco and Mr. Fuji. Mm-hmm. Don Morocco, great wrestler, big guy. Um, I always forgot how entertaining he was, though. <laughs> He's very funny. Yes, because when I think of Don Morocco, I was thinking about that famous cage match he had with Jimmy uh, Superfly Snooker with the Mick Foley solemn. Uh, but it's it, we the thing we know about that though is Snooker jumping off the top of the cage. Yes, yes, exactly. Yeah. And so we have Don Rock over here, and he's talking about his um his acting, his his television television debut acting, and he's talking about how great of an actor he is. I guess his gimmick is he's kind of like the Miz, where he thinks he's a great actor, but he's not a great actor, but he thinks he's great. Yes, yeah, similar to the Miz, and and that he thinks he's he's a great actor, but he is a good wrestler. Whereas the Miz thinks he's a good actor and a good wrestler, but he's not either. Yes. You, are you telling Actually, me the Miz is not that bad? Are you telling me you've <laughs> never not, seen any of the Miz's Marine movies? <laughs> that kind of has a lights out. No, I have not. I have not seen any of. His. I thought John Cena was in the Marine movies. No, he was in the first one. Oh. Uh, maybe the first or second one. Then, then Miz took it over. <laughs> the freaking Marine franchise, boy! I'm talking what what box office those were. I, I don't, I don't hate the Miz. Like you know, he's a. I, I've I actually met him once, and he was really nice at the time. And he's, I think he's very funny, and he's very good on the mic. And then uh, that famous thing where he made the little girl frown. Like I'll never, I'll never not laugh when I see that. So yeah, that's good that's stuff. Great. So the. <laughs> So the big thing is, so we see a clip where Don Morocco, Mr. Fuji are playing doctors in a uh, <clears throat> like a hospital scene. <laughs> yes, I saw this. And I was like, boy, this ain't no ER, is it? <laughs> and then, you know, Mr. Yeah, Fuji saying some stuff and he, <laughs> he eventually, <laughs> he eventually like... <laughs> He eventually like just like tells the doctor the the nurse like basically like Morocco and him have been sleeping around so he's firing the nurse now and the guy the patient guy is like oh you can't do that and then Mr. Fuji leaves and then Morocco has to act like he's upset but he's saying he did it just because of his career and then the director guy was just going like show me some emotion man what's going on you, you know you suck and he's like just leaning back and, and hanging out. And then we get back to the interview, and Morocco was just like, "Yeah, the doctor, he's a, he doesn't know how to direct nothing. He couldn't direct traffic light." <laughs> wow. Yeah. So then, you know, eventually they they um they leave, and they're gonna be coming back later in the show. Um, but then we have uh, then we get a a fabulous Mula segment, which boy, I could have skipped this one. This is boring as hell. Mula just sitting there. Just and then she's talking about her. She we we see a match with like Mula and like two other girls, which is like in the seventies. Mula's like, I don't remember this match. I don't even know what time it was, or I don't know what year it was, or nothing. And it's just basically her. Did you see this match? Oh my boy! Yes, I I saw this part too, where she's like, Yeah, I don't remember this happening. Like, like was this was this show? Like, I mean, I guess this could be part of the gimmick that she's putting on, but like. Like, is this show so live that they didn't even tell her, like, what match they were going to talk about? I guess, because this man's like, hey, we're going to show you this match of you in a handicap match, and we're going to have some people talking over it, which was basically just him. (laughs) 
Well, uh, true, but she was pretty good. Like she was talking about, yeah, she's like, I was in a lot of handicap matches. And yeah. then she was like, um, uh, then she was, she was like, and then she remember the part where she's talking about them, uh, trying to disqualify her for the closed fist. Yeah. And then she's like, yeah, she's like, it's okay when they do it, but when I do it, then all of a sudden it's against the rules. Yeah. So she did pretty good if she really did not remember this match at all. Like, you know, she did decent commentary, I guess. Um, the one thing that I found the most amazing about this is the uh, how old she looked then. I know. That's crazy. In 1985. And we were watching her in the 2000s. Yeah. Still, like, doing it. Still wrestling. Yeah, still wrestling, somewhere. still bumping and everything. Like, she didn't, she didn't bump around as much as Mae Young did. But, you know, she was still in there. I think she even won the women's title from Ivory, I believe it was. But, yeah, yes. like, we see this match, and just, boy, <laughs> it's a little rough. And then Vince Man was like, he was, like, flaunting over the girl with the stripes. I'm surprised he didn't try to hire her. <laughs> so the big thing about this episode, too, I guess they were doing some sort of, like, tournament in Chicago where they're saying, like, it's just going to be this big, like, tournament or battle. I couldn't tell if it was a battle royal or if it was a tournament. And the big gimmick was they're going to give away a Rolls Royce. Yes. On that particular show. And it's called the WWF Wrestling Classic event. And it's going to be happening in Chicago. All right. So we see a, a promo by Macho Man talking about the, the car and everything, which is great. And then just imagine 1985. Allison and J, JK were watching the show. I was like, oh, fuck, I can win a, a Royce Royce. Well, what do I have to do? Well, you got to go to P.O. Box 336. <laughs> So, Sut, North Carolina, I mean, New York, 1175, and you got to write in saying you want this car, and they'll pick it out, maybe. And, yeah. So, it's basically, you know, they, were, they were doing this to probably get people's mailing addresses so they can ship them out some merchandise stuff, I assume, right? Of course. Yeah, absolutely. So, that was a gimmick back wow. then. You wanted to get people's mailing addresses so you can mail them out, like, um, like, you know, maybe when the shows are happening around their area or like merchandising is happening. So this is a very smart idea, you know, companies, especially wrestling used to do, you know, they would like do contests like that to get a lot of the mailers. Cause back then it's kind of like, you know, nowadays we need subscriptions or we need, you know, subscribers and stuff. Back then it was getting that mail list, brother. It's all about the mail list. Right. Well, they still do it for email now so they can spam you email. Yes. And then now, I guess, it's cell phone, so they can text you spam. Yeah, it's all about the spam, brother. But yeah, I guarantee you that every single person that sent in a postcard explaining why they wanted to win a Rolls Royce um, got, a, got a WWF catalog with Hulkamania stuff in it immediately after that. Yes, very quickly. So up next, we have the British Bulldogs, the team. And boy, these guys were great. Like, I was always thinking about, you know, the British Bulldogs. You know, we don't really see a lot of their style of wrestling anymore. You know, the very, like, grounded, very aggression type of pro wrestling. Like, every time they do a move, it's, like, very, like, impactful. Mm-hmm. You know, I think the closest we get to them right now is probably FTR, I'd probably say, when it comes to, like, the aggressionness in, in the ring. Um, the other team I was thinking about, like, you know, maybe nowadays would have been, like, the, uh, the bar like Sheamus and Cesaro, you know, just that really like tough, quick paced, um, you know, hard hitting style tag team. You know, like when they they like they yeah. lay the state in, lay the shit in. I, 
I could see that. I mean, I think of FTR as like a throwback kind of classic tag team, which I guess the Bulldogs were. You know, I, I think of them as like Arn and Tully of today. But yeah. yeah, they're they're they're. It's, it's I would say thing. yeah, I would say they're more similar to Arn and Tully wrestling style, but you know they do have at least some of the the the, the snap quickness that yes, the Bulldogs had. They just don't do all like the flying headbutts and stuff, which is I'm glad because that move. You know, never good. It just always affects your neck. It can affect your brain. Mm-hmm. I can always go without the flying headbutt anymore. Yeah, a lot of people have been injured and uh, irreparably damaged inside their brain because of the flying headbutt. Mm-hmm. So, um, you know, during this, like, they barely talked. Like, the Bulldogs at all. Like, they would not let him say a word. Like, they talked about Lord Alfred Hayes being there. We're liking him because they're all from Britain. You know, McMahon's asking, you know, just, like, talk about stuff. Then we go to a match which was the Bulldogs versus there's another guy, but the the one guy I remember their name saying, is this some, he was called the Avenger. He was a fat dude in a green luchador outfit. Wow. And they were just beating his up and they eventually won with a very interesting move. It was like a flying headbutt, but it wasn't from the top rope. It was basically just uh Davy boy Smith, like, like flipping uh dynamite kid onto the opponent and he would hit him with his head. So that was their finish, I guess. The flying mm-hmm. headbutt. Not on the top rip. So right before they were going to talk about the match and how their wrestling style is, Jimmy Hart interrupts, and then this freaking Davy Boy just gets pissed. Like, he just... Boy, I'm talking about... Like, this this uh, young Davy Boy Smith, like, man, what a, what, a, what a prodigy. Like, this guy, like, you could tell he was going to be something. Um, just the size and his, you know, prowess and everything. You could definitely tell he was going to be something in wrestling. And then... It's just crazy to me, too, because um, they didn't really do anything with his son, you know, Harry. I know. That's really strange. I mean, didn't they They just released him recently again, right? Yeah. And, like, I mean, look at him. Yeah. The Harry's just as big, you know, just a big, you know, tall dude, power in the, in the ring. I mean, you could have put him with a great tag team. Hell, you could have put him with T-Bar. You could have put him with Mace. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, why not? Why not two big dudes beating people up? Like, what's the problem? Yeah, I don't know. I don't know what their deal is with him. Like, it has to be. It has to. They just must not like him for some reason. Like, it well, has weird. to be like an because like they an hi- attitude thing. I I who knows, man? Because they hired him and didn't they didn't even put him on TV for like almost a year or something like that. It was crazy. It was weird. I, mean, yeah, I don't remember. Was he on? Was he in NXT? I don't know. He was on anything on TV at all. He was hired, and then he maybe had like one or two dark matches, and that was it. Yeah, because I remember, like, I saw him mm, right before the pandemic. I saw him at an indie show because, you know, he was working with MLW and the the New Heart Foundation. Yeah, which was a great group. Um, yeah, which was great. You know, that would I wish they could get that group. I had to go to Teddy Hart and. Uh, well, you know, Teddy Hart, he probably going to get fucking hired anywhere. No, I mean, he's, you know. Which is, which is bad because he's a great promo. A guy with a lot of troubles. Yeah, God. Yeah. Teddy Hart's a great wrestler, but he just cannot stay out of trouble. Yeah. Um, he, you know, but I have, I, I mean, it must, it has got to be some kind of at, like attitude about him that they don't like. But he, you know, like I met him at the same show, uh, David Wishsmith Jr., and he was super nice, you know. But then again, you know, you, t- you would think he would be nice to a fan, but um, I don't know. I don't understand. I don't understand why, why he, he is not in WWE. I just, I don't get it. Yeah. I, I just, mystery to me exactly it's it's weird but he's uh, almost a clone of his dad yeah i know it's like i don't know who knows who knows what they look for and what they want 
Um, so, <laughs> so when Ginny and Harp interrupts and stuff, they get all pissed and everything. He's like, I'm gonna send the Harp Foundation on you, and you guys are just gonna sit back and listen to my, me, my, my, my track and everything. So when we come back from break, the Heart Foundation is there. And they're talking about like the Bulldogs getting scared off and everything. And they're like freaking giving the evil eye to Lord Alfred Hayes. And then, and then um, Jimmy Hart's like, Vince Man's like, Jimmy Hart, you should apologize. It's like, I'm not apologizing. You know, I'm apologizing for them being scaredies. And then we get into freaking Jimmy Hart playing or doing a live performance of his song off the wrestling album that we talked about last week. Eat your heart out, Rick Springsfield. And he does like the whole performance. And I think the best part of this performance was seeing like Jim the Anvil and High Heart and Bret Hart dance. <laughs> Did you see them dance? Did you see any of this? Yeah, I don't understand. Like, oh, I don't know. Great. I mean, I, I do understand it, but I mean, they were proud. I mean, I would love to see a reaction video of Bret Hart watching this today. Oh my God, I would too. Like that would be Bret Hart's, <laughs> Bret Hart's fucking dance moves. Like he just <laughs> he did like this like weird walk. It was like shaking his head, like yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's just so funny. And of course, Jim. I like, mean, <laughs> he, and then Jim would always take the lead. He would be like the one, like okay, we're supposed to be dancing now. All right, let me start dancing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, like, like to me, like <laughs> Bret Hart is like not only is he one of the best wrestlers of all time. But he's just like a cool guy. Like he, like his uh-huh. whole wrestling persona is just fucking cool. Like you know, when he was a heel, he was cool. Yeah. When he was a face, he was cool. So like he's just like the to me, Bret Hart is the epitome of wrestling. If if I had to, if I met someone tomorrow who was like, "Hey, show me professional wrestling," I would show them a Bret Hart match. Yeah, definitely. Uh, probably Bret Hart and Austin at at WrestleMania 13. But. You know, I would show them a Bret Hart match because this is how it's done. That's that's the way. That's my opinion. That's the way I feel about wrestling. Like he he was he was the perfect wrestler. Yeah. But just to see him like doing this dance thing was like, huh? I oh, loved God, it. This is not this is not <laughs> this is not the Bret Hart that I know. I loved it because this is like very early on. You know, Bret Hart. This is probably right. You know, when he's starting out in the WWF, he's in the Tag Team Hart Foundation. You know, it's just very interesting to see like how his progression became but this is the one where like the brett you know he didn't say a lot of interview stuff he just mostly just like one-liners and yeah. i think he was just like kind of like in his shell a little bit like he wasn't um he wasn't as comfortable you know as he would later on be you know what I mean? right. but i just liked it how like he just dancing over here having a good time freaking out um yeah just it, it, and then you, we have a match um with the heart foundation too where it's a very quick match it just shows them they're finishing move the heart attack and I like it how like their entrance music was Jimmy Hart's song, "Eat Your Heart." Oh, oh yeah. yeah! Oh my god! <laughs> I thought yeah. that was fun too. And then you know they must just... have just come to WWF right when this happened. Um, I think they might have been there for a couple months, but I think it was either like ninety late ninety four or early ninety five is when they came into the WWF from Calgary. You mean you mean eighty four, eighty five? Yeah. What I say? You keep saying ninety four. Oh my god! And my my brain <laughs> my brain's in the future. All right. <laughs> I'm one of those future. I'm one of those time travelers. All right, eighty. Yeah, they probably came in eighty four, eighty five. One of those spooky time travelers. Like one day in the future, Hulk Hogan is going to wrestle for WCW, and then minds get blown. Yeah, my eighties Brian mind can't think that now because Hulk Hogan's only WWF American brother. Yeah. So, so they just show the heart attack, and you just see Brett and all of them like 
getting onto the crowd. So it's very interesting to see the 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 early heel Bret Hart. But I think my favorite part of this TNT episode was right <laughs> right when they're like done with the song, and everything. Uh, they all started to sit down and like. They're all like staring at Lord Halford Hayes because Jimmy Hart's like, because they're all about to sit on the chair. Jimmy Hart's going there. It's like, hey, I'm not sitting on this chair over here. I don't, I don't trust Lord Alfred Hayes over there. And Lord Alfred, Lord Alfred Hayes is not even on like the stage. He's like on the side. And he's all right. like, you know, he's, Lord Alfred Hayes is like, you know, like you're the one who always in, 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 uh, like does everything and, you know, taunts me and stuff. And then Jimmy is like, no, he doesn't. It's, by the way, I don't like him. He's a foreigner. <laughs> I was so, like, I saw that he was, <laughs> and I was like, wait a minute, aren't you guys from like wait Canada? A <laughs> <laughs> There's a foreigner. Yeah, so I, I noticed that too. I can't remember if it was before they sang the song or afterwards, but he's like, it was after. he's like, you can tell, yeah, you can tell these guys are no good because they're foreigners or whatever he says. Yeah. And I'm like, wait a minute, you guys are from Canada. Yeah, just because you don't have a weird accent. And it's funny too because like after he's done with that, I was like. It's like, oh, what a big deal sitting down. <laughs> he was just going crazy on this thing, man. I loved it. It was just like it's just like they were just trying to find like um you know, like not an angle, but like, you know, tension that well, they could argue. Yeah, about. but so like, the you reason could tell none of it's scripted. Yeah. Because the reason they were getting on the Lord Albert Hayes because he's British, kinda like their enemies, the British Bulldogs. So they thought that maybe Lord Albert Hayes was in cahoots with the we Bulldogs. Must be. Because Bulldog, because Lord Alfred Hayes did say the Bulldogs were the greatest tag team, and of course the Hart Foundation took exception to that. Right. So I liked it. I like that's probably my favorite segment. You know, Jimmy Hart is like always over the show. Like he's like everywhere. On well, he TNT. did everything. Yeah, it's crazy. All right. So the next segment we got is the Intercontinental Champion Tito Santana, and this episode was actually pretty. Uh, pretty pretty neat because Tito Santana is revealing the brand new Intercontinental Championship belt. And boy, they were saying belt all over the show. McMahon said belt. Tito said belt. There's belts everywhere, brother. Yep, because that's the correct term. I mean, yeah. uh, what do you think that McMahon doesn't like that term now? I don't know. Like, I'm not really sure. Maybe because the thing is like, well, belts, what you hold up your pants. But they've been saying belts in wrestling for like <laughs> ever. Like, I think that's just what he says to give a reason that we don't uh, call it a belt. But I mean, I mean, in boxing, they call it a belt, right? I guess. Or, well, I think he wants it to be. I think, you know, like so his big thing is. Uh, McMahon nowadays, maybe you know, he's always had this part, but especially nowadays, he wants to brand everything. Everything has to be a brand. Everything has to be branded. So we can't say belt because that's like a universal thing. You know, anything could be a belt or a belt in your pants, a belt on the on on a horse, a belt, a championship title. No, it has to be. What do they What do they call it? What WWF? Yeah, what do they call it now? They call it a championship title. Right, but that's generic too. Well, no. Because, I mean, the Super Bowl winner has a championship title. Yeah. Yes, but it's like belt. They, I guess they. I'm, I'm trying to figure out the logic. I'm not really sure why they did this, but I'm the I belt can't. is kind of like they don't. They they think it's just some sort of generic name. You know, maybe they they, they a title belt sounds more prestigious or a championship title. All right. 
Well, I guess, I guess so. Yeah. I mean, we can well, they have don't a, use the word wrestler either, so whatever. We can we have a contenders match. That was my favorite <laughs> contenders match. We, where you have to beat the yeah. champion, but not win the title. You just got to beat the champion to be in consideration to be a challenger, which doesn't make any yeah, sense. None of that's ever made any sense to me. <laughs> like, I mean, that's even old wrestling stuff and doesn't make any sense. Like, like, why do I have to beat the champion and then have to wrestle the champion again? Yeah. Like, I beat him. I mean, it, the, the title should be mine. Yeah, exactly. Who knows? Um, so... So this, when he reveals the belt, this is the classic Intercontinental Championship belt. And this is like probably one of my favorite title belts um, pretty much of all time. So so what happened was, so Tito won the title from Valentine, Greg Valentine, but, and it's still a cage match. But after the match happened, Valentine destroyed the old Intercontinental Championship. He destroyed it right in the middle of the ring. And then we were talking about that. And he also left um, Tito with 14 stitches in his forehead. And But Tito was all happy that he has the new championship belt that he can carry around with pride now. And then we see a little match between Tito Santana, which is honestly kind of boring. Not going to lie. And apparently this is like during... Uh, uh, I didn't know this was a thing. But I guess this was like during a manager of the year contest. That the WWE was having, where fans, hilarious. so where fans can like vote who their favorite manager is, and the only thing I remember is it's Jesse Ventura. First of all, he's all over Tito Tito Santel, you know, he's like flaunting that belt, you know, I'm everywhere, and then he's like, you know, talk about how great Jimmy Hart was. Jimmy Hart was talking about um, his contest, and they kept talking about different managers and their votes and stuff. So very interesting. They had a manager of the year contest. In 1985, because they did have a shit ton uh, of managers. Right. The funniest thing about this, and I'm pretty sure it's Ventura, Jesse Ventura, that says this, but he's like, "Yeah, the voting for this ends immediately, or maybe sooner. (laughs) (laughs) Like sooner than immediately. (laughs) Sooner than immediately. (laughs) But yeah, so so immediately is like right now, but it could end quicker than right now. It could have ended in the past. Yes. He doesn't know." And then uh, this is when we get uh, Tito talking about his challengers. And he has two main challengers that he could be facing. One of them is, of course, Macho Man Randy Savage, which I'm pretty sure Macho Man took the, the belt from Tito when he, be, when he had his reign of the Intercontinental Championship. And he was also talking about um, uh, Terry Funk and how Terry Funk could be a, a, a danger to his championship too and how Terry Funk is... He is, you know, not like just a normal wrestler. He's more of a wild man. He'll do whatever it takes to win, but Tito will be ready. Yep, absolutely. Funk is a wild man. So there's something I want to do really quick. I'm going to see if we can find who won the Roy's Royce car. I wonder if they have that anywhere. I don't know. It's kind of, I think it's really strange that like the Rolls Royce, especially in the '80s, was one of the most expensive cars you could possibly yeah. buy. Like, it's not even like I make a lot of money and I can buy a car. Like, you had to be like a rich person to buy a Rolls Royce. You had to be like a rock star or like a corporate CEO or something like that to buy a Rolls Royce. And it's like it's crazy that they that they gave away 
that a, a, a car that expensive when they could have given away like you know like a like a really nice corvette or something that would have been much less expensive so this this event that they gave away the car at it was on november 7th <laughs> yeah. 1985 all right and let's see but the uh i'm thinking that um are you familiar with robin leach and the show um last dolls of the rich and famous yeah oh uh, yeah yeah it wasn't yeah. uh wasn't ted dibiase on that he was yeah he was and he, they were at vince's house when they did that um lifestyles but i'm pretty that was a really popular show um the syndicated show that was on around this time so i have a feeling they gave away a rolls royce because there were rolls royces on that show where he was showing off houses of like really really wealthy people yeah that made sense yeah, because they were trying to be in like the the pop culture stuff, right? Exactly. Which is weird to think of how times have changed. Because if you had a show like that today, people would be rioting about how, like you know, like they about showing off like how opulent the rich lives with as much as people are talking about like wealth inequality and things like that today. Okay, cool. So I found out who won the contest. All right. So let's talk a little bit about this. So the main event was the finals of a 16-man tournament where Junkyard Dog defeated Randy Savage. Wow, but that was great. Yeah, I bet oh that match sounds like it would be great. This whole this whole event sounds pretty good. Like a whole big tournament plus you get the undercard featured a 16-man single nation tournament and then we had for the main event Hulk Hogan versus Rowdy Piper for the WWF Championship. And then they had a contest where Michael Hemley won a Royce Royce. Wow. Did it talk about how much taxes he had to pay on that Rolls Royce when he got it at the end of the year? Let me see if I can figure it out. Let me see if it... it, it see how much, I wonder if he like sold it like that. I wonder if he sold it like that kid who won the house. And I just, absolutely guarantee you he sold that. Yeah. <laughs> oh, let's see what we got in here. Okay, let's see. Uh, everything, all right. It was in the Rosemont Horizon, Chicago, Illinois. That was the event they gave it away. We saw those great matches. All right. Okay, so uh, uh, an interesting concept about this show, too. This show was the first official WWF pay-per-view event. So I remember them saying that, like this show was going to be on pay-per-view, plus it was going to be aired in around the local stations around Chicago as well too. But this is very interesting. This is their first ever pay-per-view event. Over, let's see. So so that was, this is after Mania, the first WrestleMania though. Uh, yes, I so think it was Ma- after the first So Mania, Mania doesn't count as a, as a pay-per-view event? I think that was still a closed circuit. Yeah, it doesn't say. I'm trying to look to see if the kids sold the car, but I don't. I don't, I don't know. That's not yeah, I was trying to. I'm, I was trying to find the price on how much a Rolls Royce Shadow would would have been in 1985. But I mean, you know, you're looking at that car's got to be at least even 1985 has to be like a hundred thousand dollars. You know, when a car in in 1985 was probably an expensive car is probably twenty thousand dollars, maybe. Mm-hmm. Um, so, so you're, I mean, you know, you gotta consider that whoever won that had to pay that as income tax. So like, you know, he won a hundred thousand dollar car and then he paid sales tax on it and income tax on it. 
So yeah, I guarantee you he sold that. Yeah, I'm probably dead. Plus, I mean, how much would it cost to insure that? Yeah. Like <laughs> buying insurance. I mean, you know, like, you know, insurance on the, uh, on the, uh, on the Mustang there, you know, you think about that and then think about like what a Rolls Royce insurance would cost. Yeah. So, you know, I mean, I can't, yeah, that's crazy. Yeah. He, he definitely probably put it up for sale or, or maybe let's see. And I mean, I'm sure that it's different in Illinois, maybe. But remember when you when you first moved to North Carolina and you switched your tag over and you yeah. had to pay sales tax on the value of your car. <laughs> so imagine that on like a Rolls Royce Shadow, like trying to pay the tag price on that. <laughs> That's just crazy to think about for me. It's funny. Yeah, I try to find some history about the guy selling it, but I'm pretty sure he did, like we were saying. So. That's very interesting, though. You know, that's not. This is not the first. This is. This might have been one of the first times WWE's done those stunts. But you know, late, later on, they would sell. They would do houses. They would do McMahon's Million Dollar Challenge. They would do all kinds of stuff to get those email addresses. Right. Just to give you an idea, um, not to go too long, but um, so a 1980s Rolls Royce Silver Phantom or a Silver Shadow today. Like if you bought like one from the eighties, like a nineteen eighty one or nineteen eighty five, it's worth like twenty thousand dollars today. That's how much it would cost you to buy that. So yeah, that car had to have been like a hundred thousand dollars at least. Yeah, definitely. All right. <clears throat> I don't see a lot of people cruising around in those things too, so it'll definitely be a classic. But what do we got? What are we going to be popping in? to our Rolls Royce, where are we going to be to pop it into our Trans Am while we're uh, heading over to see the Silver Bullet? So, um, as I've mentioned before, like one of the things we wanted to be, for this show to be, to be, to be, for this show to be, mm-hmm. was uh, educational and entertaining. So, and I take that on myself too. Like I like learning new things and every week I learn new things, especially about wrestling that I didn't know. But I've 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 recently in the last few weeks on the shows I've learned new music that I didn't really know about. So um, one of the things we might be listening to as we were driving to uh, see this movie and to uh, see uh, whatever wrestling shows that we were attending that week was um, Fate's Warning released Specters Within on the fifteenth. So like five days after this movie, um, they released an album called The Spectre Within, which is still in the classic Fate's Warning era. They're kind of like a Rush-like metal band, kind of progressive um, sounding. Um, also, I didn't have an, an exact date on this, but there's this band called Omen, that Omen that's a metal blade band. Mm-hmm. Uh, they were a fairly early metal blade band. They released Warning of Danger that year, uh, which is a incredible incredible american power metal album um you know we, we'll probably put some stuff up on the facebook about that um but it's it's really good their song uh, ruby eyes of the snake is a fantastic track um also um there's a band called razor which is a, a really unknown thrash metal band they released this album called evil invaders that month um that's just amazing like it's 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 actually it's absolutely incredible. Oh and, yeah, uh, we'll put we'll put other videos up on the face on the Facebook too. The song "Evil Invaders" is is so good. It's like it's like um, thrash, you know. But it's like you can tell that it's like underground. It, this is not Metallica. This is not Anthrax. This is not on a major label. This is like 
this is like real street metal. Like they're, they're really, really, really good. Nice. But those are the kind of things that we would probably be listening to. Um, oh yeah. These guys love when, that uh, thrash. Yeah. They got the fucking red thrash. background. They got the fucking, uh, <laughs> got the fucking, uh, Mad Max looking shit going on. You know, that gimmick yeah, where got, they have the, 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 the got, vest got, yeah. with the spikes on it. Yeah. One of them was, yeah, like one, the road one of them was, yeah, the road warriors. One of them was wearing a, a collar. <laughs> and them? then they all have that thrash metal haircut where it's like their hair's long and curly, but it's like, yeah. it, it's not a mullet. It's not quite a mullet, but it's like, <laughs> it's long and curly, but it's like cut like out of their eyes, like their bangs or whatever they call it, or, or cut like right above their eyes. This picture I'm looking at right now is fantastic. Like, there's this one guy who kind of looks like my dad on the left. <laughs> <laughs> He has like oh this. God, he has the yeah. aviators with the long hair and the little stash, the little, little mustache. <laughs> got the fucking blonde dude. You could tell he's a rocker. And then he got the. He always got the one guy who's like you could tell he's gonna age tough. This one guy at the end, like um, he's like the tallest one of them. He kind of looks like Robert Gibson. <laughs> you could tell like the main singers in the middle. These guys are all leathered out. Oh, I love it. Yeah, Razor's really good. You, you, you. This is like as soon as I I put this in, I was like, oh yeah, this is like. Uh, this is right up Klein's alley. Yeah, buddy. I'll probably be playing some <laughs> of the yeah, Evil Invaders. Is what yeah. Oh, uh, hold on a second. Let me. Oh, let me. You know, my favorite thing is to do is read the tracks. Oh yeah, let's do it. Let's do it. Let's read the tracks to Evil Invaders. All right. So we have Nowhere Fast. All right. Cross yep. Me Fool. Legacy of Doom. Oh, that's eighties. <laughs> <laughs> That's a thrash metal song right there. A Legacy of Doom. Evil Invaders. Oh, I could just picture that one right now in my head. Iron Hammer. <laughs> instant Death. That's side one, too. Yeah, Instant Death this starts off side two. That's fantastic. Cutthroat. Uh, Speed Merchants. Mm. The love song, Tortured Skull. <laughs> <laughs> and of course... <laughs> Thrash dance, brother. Yeah, to finish it all off, we have thrash dance. It gets more violent as you go. It starts off nowhere fast and ends with tortured skull. Oh, that's and then awesome. you, you got thrash dance to finish. So it. I found this video video on here. I'll probably play on the Facebook Razor Evil Invaders. Yeah, so we'll that's a great that. video. It's cool. it's it's uh it's stupendous. That's awesome. Well, I have to. Ch- we'll check these guys out, but they seem pretty fantastic. If I say so myself. Eighties <laughs> glory, right there, brother. Do you think uh you think our boys and razors would be watching the silver bullet? Oh yeah. I mean I think that silver bullet is straight up razors alley. <laughs> you know, this one actually um get into it now. Some of the silver bullet talk. You know, this is a very like I thought well put together movie. You know what I mean? Like very like very like clean structured style movie. You know, like it's not too hard to follow. What's going on? You know, we have the 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 storyline where we have the kid is like the main person in the film. You know, mm-hmm. so you know during the eighties, um, you know, because I'm pretty sure it's because of the Goonies blew up so big that we had to have a lot of the the heroes or the or the um, the big um, triumphant group it was always a group of kids. Like they always the kids always knew what's going on first before everybody else did. All right, like especially in this movie. All right, 
Yeah, I was going to say, like, I, I never thought of that before. You're probably right. Um, You know, the Goonies got so big, so now now we have to have kid heroes in every movie, like yeah. The Lost Boys. This movie's really reminiscent of The Lost Boys, I think. Yeah. Uh, not just because Corey Haim is the hero in both movies, but, you know, it's it's similar. It's a similar concept. Yes. It's very, yeah, it's very, very similar where it has, like, you know, it's that structure that a lot of movies had, even going into the 90s, too, where we always have, like, the kids. They would always know what's going on before everything happened. You know, kind of like we see in Stranger Things nowadays, which is, like, a show, you know, bringing back a lot of those tropes from the 80s and the early 90s. Right. Where we always had the kids. They would always figure out what's happening in the plots before the actual grown-ups, who were always dumb, didn't know what was going on at all. Uh-huh. Right, because they don't believe. They don't believe anymore. But, yeah, yeah. I, it's it, you're right. It's like I was going to bring that up. It's like... um. It's like the trope that, uh, you know, the that uh, Stranger Things ripped off so successfully. Um, although, I mean, I hate to call it a ripoff. It's just it's it's an homage, homage yeah. to these kind of things. Yeah. Yes. The you know because um, Stephen King though in his books did this a lot, um, even before like this was a popular thing with the Goonies, and I think that's why this works so well because you know he wrote the book for this and he wrote the screenplay for this movie. And it just fit in perfectly with what was going on in the zeitgeist at this at the moment, I think. So he, you know, he 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 that nostalgia thing, he was doing it always. Um, you know, like he he has this like um nostalgia for his youth, um, which you know, you see a lot in it, especially. Um, you know, where you have you have this nostalgia for his youth of the fifties or sixties or whatever. Um, you know, about being a kid and like, you know, it's the, you know, the adults not understanding you, but you really know what's going on in the world and they don't. And that's kind of what the theme of this and the Lost Boys and the Goonies and a lot of movies around this time are. Yeah, exactly. So, so some of the, the production of this movie is pretty interesting. So this movie was actually shot in Bloomington, North Carolina. Yes. And they begin in October, and they kind of finished a little bit about it's about two and a uh, two and a uh, two and a half months to finish, and it finished a little bit shortly after Christmas. So you know this movie was like, like a lot of Stephen King's movies. It was supposed to be a not not a totally like his books, but like a story like based around the concept of one of his books. And the books they did during this one was the uh, Cycle of the Wolf. And yeah, Cycle of the Werewolf. Yeah, Cycle of the Werewolf. Sorry, Cycle of the Werewolf on this one um so so there's a couple little different you know there's differences obviously in that that book you wrote in this movie um but some of the things were just you know like i guess in the the novel so the werewolf is supposed to like talk a little bit in like a little voice and stuff in this movie the werewolf didn't talk at all unless he was the preacher guy right spoilers but yeah (laughs) So I'm all about the spoilers, it for man. everybody. <laughs> Come on, everybody knows it's um, the preacher guy. I, I could have told that five minutes into the movie when I saw this guy in his weird-looking face. He's pretty much the only person that it could be, really. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, but uh, yeah. So basically, um, I mean, the story is really similar, um, except it's just condensed more. Um, the um, the movie takes place or i mean sorry the book every it has 12 chapters and every chapter is a month and if i'm not mistaken it's been a long time since i've read it 
but the movie starts um like in january i think and it goes for a full year and then it ends on new year's eve and then with the the movie don't we get don't we doesn't it start like in uh basically july and then goes to october yeah well it's yeah like for the filming of it no for the the actual plot of the movie yeah yeah somewhere around that time because it was definitely around july because they had the uh, fireworks yeah so and then they then they had to wait until october because october that's when the that's when their full moon would come out and they wanted to have the full moon come out because that's when the werewolf is at its strongest so right a little bit about some of the cast obviously this movie has uh gary Busey in it of all people hell yeah it does and this guy was like this character they 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 pretty like when he played uncle red like this guy probably didn't even have to act like that's pretty much just how he is is this character yeah they were saying that he improvised most of his lines like yeah. he would he would do a take of the lines that Stephen King wrote for him, but the improvised lines were actually better. Yeah, because they liked <laughs> yeah. it better. They liked his imp- they yeah, liked cause... his ad lib lines better than the, the other lines they gave him. <laughs> yeah, because this is basically his, what seems to be his personality is the Uncle Red character. Yes, so that, I thought that was pretty crazy. Um, and then it's kind of so just some of the stuff like you know they were I guess they were going back and forth of what they wanted the, the design of the werewolf to be. So, you know, I guess King wanted it to be more of like a plain kind of werewolf, like hard to see, kind of like more of the shadow werewolf compared compared to some other werewolf movies that came around around, you know, 90s, I mean, 80s and early 70s where you would see the whole werewolf. You would see him like everywhere, you know, attacking people, not really like hiding them, kind of like more like not hiding them in the shadows. Um, and then like, you know, they, they were kind of going back and forth of the, the design uh, of the werewolf and... Uh, you know, eventually we got the. I thought the werewolf design was actually pretty nice. I actually thought that was it looked pretty good. You know, some people are saying it look kind of looks like a black bear, but I thought it looked like I thought it looked like a pretty good werewolf. I mean, yeah, it kind of does look like a bear, but it it it's you know it has that plain look that Stephen King wanted to an extent because I think they had some kind of like argument with the production company, like they wanted the production company wanted to be more um, what's the word I'm looking for more. Uh, more extra i guess like it was you know larger and um you know like more monster like and and king and and the director basically wanted it to be you know kind of normal looking just you know normal for a werewolf i guess but like you know smaller human sized um to where it could hide uh more wolf like more plain and basically from what i understand is like they refused to work on it anymore until they got their way with the uh with the plain werewolf, which is what we ended up getting. It, it, the, basically, the producer or the uh, filmmakers won over the producers for the most part. Yeah, because so the director eventually, who the original director of this movie, Don uh, Casarelli, he who did uh, Phantasm, The Beastmaster, Bubba yeah, Hotep. He, he's one of my favorite directors. I love Don Casarelli. Yeah, so I, I guess he opted to start filming the non-werewolf scenes without knowing what would happen with the werewolf suit because they were going back and forth of the design of the werewolf suit. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, best, I guess so. after completing the non-werewolf scenes and not having any clear picture about what would happen with the films, um, the, the film, they, they reassigned the director and he was replaced with At- Atlas. 
Yeah, he's basically a TV director. He went on to do like True Blood and some stuff like that. Yeah. So basically, you know, because they 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 were going back and forth with that that suit, and I guess Don didn't really like the the suit that they had up, you know, that they had there. So he just basically refused to shoot the scenes with that suit with it. So he just did a bunch of other scenes and was going to add in some stuff, I guess, later. Hmm. That's interesting. Yeah. Let's see. Let me get the whole so, story. So he wanted he wanted the more. Uh, the, so Don wanted the more flashy werewolf suit like a more big budget suit yeah so let's see so so here, here's the whole story so king he asked for the werewolf to be plain and hard to see in contrast with the hulking monster scenes in our werewolf films and books in the early to midnight in 80s with the end result being a creature with more like a black bear than anything else and did not really have any identifying identifying characteristics which I don't know if I agree with that. I thought it, I mean, you could definitely tell it was a werewolf. I mean, I could, you know, maybe, you know, maybe the version we saw might've been updated, but I thought it yeah, was a pretty yeah, good It one. did look like a werewolf. Yeah. You're right. You're, you're, you're right about that. So the designer was uh, Carlo. Um, he designed, I guess, the, the werewolf. And then per, uh, per King's request, producer Dino was very unhappy and demanded a change with both King yeah. and uh, Dean, um, Demo refused. Or like you know, they both like ref- uh, the no, both King and the creator refused. So King and Carlo liked the the suit that we got in the film, so they both liked it. But Dino, he did not like it at all. And then eventually, yeah. and then eventually, I guess the uh, pre-production fell behind scenes for the director Don. He was just like not going fast enough, and he I guess since they were having all the issues with the suit, um, that's when they replaced him. So when pressure to either cancel the film or accept the design, um, the uh, related to an olive film and to continue with, so yeah, so basically, when the pressure of either canceling the film or accept the design made by Carlo, all right, they decided to go like the script. We'll just go with this werewolf suit. So eventually, King and Carlo got their way where we can use this werewolf suit that we had. Uh, so they, they hired a modern dance actor was hired to perform the stunts inside the suit, but, um, the, uh, Carla was unhappy with the performance and demanded a change. As a result, Everett McGill, who played Reverend, uh, the, the Reverend guy, Lester, in the human form, he would end up acting most of the scenes in the werewolf suit and was credited with the dual role. So it yeah. looks like King and Carlo both liked the design they wanted to keep that and then you just had some budding heads saying like now nah, we want to do like maybe they made more like more more of a flashy one maybe a little bit more like detailed design werewolf that don and then um D- uh, dino wanted as well too and so you know when you have like you know four chi- you know four chiefs in the pot and they can't decide on something you know it's going to halt some of the production and then sometimes, you know, you got to get those people out to get the movie made. So that's pretty much what happened. And then eventually, it seems like they were, like, very particular how they wanted this monster to move around and do and everything. So, which is not uncommon in some Hollywood films. No, I would say this is a very common situation. Like, they, because um, basically what they would have had to have done. So, Carlo Rimbaldi is a very famous monster suit maker. Like, I think he made the King Kong suit for uh, King Kong 76. Um or he was one of the people that worked on it. And yeah, I'm sure he was very expensive. Like this was a pretty high budget movie for the time. Um, and I feel like probably 
they were looking at, well, if we don't take this design, we're going to have to get a new director and we're going to have to get somebody to design a suit and we're losing our time that we've booked at the film studio in Wilmington. So we're going to have to start all over again next year. So they probably were just like, you know, fuck it. We'll just use, we'll just use this suit design is, is what happened. So King, King and the, uh, and the, and the, uh, uh, d- uh, suit designer ended up winning in a, in a rare situation. Yes. And then, of course, we have um, Corey Ham, which is an, uh, an earlier review we did, Lost Boys. Check it out in the archives, everybody. Talking all about Lost Boys and vampires. He was yep. in this movie as well, too, playing the character Marty, the main, uh, the main hero of the film. Yeah. This yeah. is an earlier movie than Lost Boys, though. Yes. This one came out in 1985, and the other one came out in 1987. But that's enough about some of the backstory. Let's get into the plot, everybody. Let's get into the silver bullet. It began in May. And every month after that, whenever the moon was full, it happened again. And again. What was that? It's over there. Don't point that at me. Nobody knew who or what was responsible. Come on. They only knew it had to be stopped. Now, from the master of mystery and suspense. Stephen King's Silver Bullet. Silver Bullet. The last glimmering hope. Alright, so after the long moon credits... We actually have a narrator of the film, which is Jane. And she's talking all about all these uh, events that happened around spring of 1976. Is the, the, the long nightmare that the town had. So the first thing we get is a, it's kind of like a factory train. And we see this guy sing, drunk singing. All right. His name is Aaron. And he hears something, and he's like, oh, it's just a, that's not the boogeyman. And he starts laughing a little bit, talking to himself. He starts working on the tracks a little bit. He looks around, he sees a big foot footprint on the floor. And then, bam, fucking head gets chopped off quickly. So we're starting out the movie hot with a, with a, with a killing. With a decapitation. Yes. Um... And then this is when we get some articles and stuff people talking about, like, you know, the town is now, like, they, they found the body, but they knew that this guy, Aaron, he was the town drunk. So they thought it might have been a suicide. Maybe he fell asleep drunk on the tracks. Maybe the train ran over him. Um, so basically, around time, they, they, they didn't count this as a murder. They counted it more like a suicide for this guy happening. Because, um, you know, even if, you know, because they, they're like, this guy has his head chopped off and everything so and we are in the uh the town of uh tuckus mills and it's the springtime and we have a fair going on 
And during this fair, um, we have the, the mayor goes up and talks. And this is when we meet Jane. And Jane kind of just wants to go off. But then she's talking a little bit about how she doesn't really get along with her brother. And her brother is Marty. And the brother Marty is in a wheelchair. And Marty and his friend um, Brady. All right. Uh, they're hanging out. And they're about to play a practical joke with a snake. At first, I thought they were going to play on somebody else, but apparently they played this tra- practical joke with the snake on to the sister. Yeah. The sister gets all freaked out about the snake, and she rips her pantyhose. <laughs> and, of course, during this, Marty's now feeling a little bad because she's getting, like, super upset. And Brady, he doesn't really care. He's just like, ah, I'm just making jokes and stuff. Get over it. And during this as well, um, after Jenny, Jenny, Jane goes, runs off, she sees like this couple, you know, yelling at each other a little bit. Was the couple, was that uh, Breezy breaking up with this girl? Yes. Okay, um, cool. Uncle Red. So, yeah, right. Because that's the whole, that's kind of, well, not the whole plot, but that's yeah. part of the thing was that, you know, um, Uncle Red had just breaking, broken up with his wife or girlfriend or whatever. Yes. So apparently, like this is like his like Uncle Red is the Gary Busey character. He is mm-hmm. the uncle to Jane and Marty, and his big thing. He's kind of like one of those like drunken uncles, but he's really nice. He's the, but he's kind of like the a mess. fun uncle. Yes, he's like the fun uncle, but he has a couple bad history when it comes to drinking. He has a couple bad history of coming to have multiple wives. Yeah, right. And during you know during 1985, you know having multiple wives. Maybe not a good thing to have. Um, so after this all happens, you know, Jane is like really upset with Marty the whole time when they're driving home. And we're seeing a little bit of tension between them. Okay. So, and then like the biggest thing was they're always like, Jane's always been like, you always take a Marty side all the time because he's, you know, he's in a wheelchair. He's crippled. And of course they, the parents are always like defending him. Like, no, we're not doing it like that. You know? So then, you know, we get more. We're basically down during this time. We're we're slowly building up of Jane and Marty having tension with each other. You know, like any brother and sister, any siblings have. You know, they have a little bit of like, uh, you know, you have your good days with your siblings. You have your bad days with the siblings. But Jane is like really not liking Marty because of all the jokes and all the, the, the stuff that Jane has to go through with Marty. And she never has anybody defend her. Because they would take Marty's side because he has that in a wheelchair. Yeah, and she's kind of always expected to take care of Marty, yet yes. Marty always plays all these practical jokes on her. Yes. And Marty is a very big fan of Uncle Red because Uncle Red helped him build the wheelchair that he's in right now. And mm-hmm. he said he has like another surprise for him coming up as well. And, of course, Jane's like, you know, he's just a chronic drunk and he's always, you know, sleeping around, has different wives, and Marty doesn't want to hear that. He's like, no, he's he's a good guy. He's a, he is a good guy. Uh, Uncle yeah. Red is a good guy. Yeah, I mean, he, he was a some, good guy. Yeah. He, he has some issues, but he's a good guy. Um, yeah. I also wondered at this point, like, now, like, motorized wheelchairs are, like, a common thing. Like, we know people that have them and that kind of thing. But, like, I wonder if back in 1985, if Marty's, like, Uncle Red produced motorized wheelchair was, like, a was like a uh, super special thing. Like, you know, did, I mean, most people probably didn't have like motorized wheelchairs at that time. Yeah. Yeah. And, and his runs on gasoline. So yeah, gasoline, yeah. 
It's like a good so most of, I know none of them run on gasoline now, but that's pretty amazing that he has this gasoline powered wheelchair. Yeah, no. Oh, and his wheelchair is called the Silver Bullet. Wink, wink. Silver Bullet, where a name for our movie comes. Yes. From. Wink, so. wink. Hint, hint alert. All right. So this is when Marty goes back into this is nighttime, and he he gives uh, uh, his sister Jane some money, like two dollars and fifty cents, and she's like, "What is this for?" She's like, "Buy a new pair of pantyhose." She's like, "Well, I can get one for a dollar fifty at the market." So we're showing, you know, so they make up. Yeah, they make up a little bit. But she's still not on his side all the way. And then she asked, and then he asked, like, okay, is it all true about Uncle Red, you know, like breaking up with the wife and everything and drinking? And she's like, yes. And then Mario's like, oh, that's right. I didn't like his wife either. And he's like, I didn't really like his wife anyway. Hell yeah. Take Uncle Red's side. Yep. With his Hawaiian shirts and his drinking. Yes. So this this scene next, I'm I think this girl that was on this scene, I think this might have been the the uh, Aaron's wife, the guy who died earlier, because she is taking a bunch of pills and she's upset and she's talking about like it's like how can somebody do suicide when this person had kids and everything. So they didn't really say it. This is oh, this is uh, Aaron, the town's drunk's ex-wife. It I, I'm pretty sure it just assumed that she was. And so she's taking these pills, and I guess her mom was downstairs too. But it was really weird because, like, so she's taking these pills to basically looks like she was about to kill herself. But then the fucking yeah. wolf attacks and kills her anyway. Right, but that's mm. part of the plot that we'll get to in a minute. So no, this is not Aaron's wife. So this is oh, okay. a local teenage girl who's pregnant. Oh, okay. I don't right. know if the movie tells you that, but that's explained in the book. So okay. she's um so she's she's a teenage she's a local girl who gets pregnant and she's gonna kill herself as opposed to anybody finding out that she's pregnant. Okay, that makes sense. So right before she's taking the last pill, the wolf comes in and just attacks her and the wolf I thought it looked cool. Like he had like a cool looking yeah. red eyes, the claws were cool. Like I thought this costume looked great. So I don't yeah, know why they were better bitching than- about the whole thing. I know they wanted. I guess they wanted to be huge. I guess, but yeah. it looks better than any werewolf would look today. Because now they would just have some kind of weird CGI werewolf that looked like a video game. Yeah, pretty much. Which is why we talk about '80s movies and not current movies. Yeah, Betty. And so after the the where ripped it all, ripped this girl. The the the, uh, the mom comes in, sees the daughter all dead and blood everywhere. It was crazy, crazy looking scene too. It looks like you know she got ripped to shreds. Mm-hmm. So now we have um, the the sheriff Joe. All right, he is around here, and he's taking it out. We see the sheriff Joe. He's on the phone now, and he's talking to some sort of like re- reporter or some sort of station, and asking for some some help. And they won't give him some help. So he's like, "Screw it, and go fuck off, go fuck yourself." And then we have this. <laughs> 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 that, was, that was great. And I like this part where it was like it was the other, the other, um, the other uh, cop, and he was all like, "You know, Joe, you probably shouldn't have told the uh, the state FBI you know, true, or whatever FBI, state bureau of investigation state yeah, bureaus like, to go fuck stuff." And Joe was like, "I didn't. I hung up before I said it." <laughs> all right, so we got the sheriff Joe getting pissed off mm-hmm. and stuff. And you say he was paid by Terry O'Quinn. It's played by Terry O'Quinn, yeah. So there's a lot of famous actors in this movie who would go on to be probably more famous later. Like Terry O'Quinn was on the X Files, and he was in Lost. Is probably his most famous role. He played uh, Locke 
on Lost. I actually never seen Lost. Oh, it's it's good. I mean, I mean, you know, it's it is what it is. But I, I like Lost on a lot. Oh yeah, I gotta check it out it. sometime. Yeah, I mean, I heard I heard forget, I've heard good things about. It. I just never seen it, or it just I always forget to even um, try to turn it on to check it out. Just like our boy Andy at the next scene. He is pissed off. He is not turning on any TV at all. He is pissed off at Joe. He's pissed off at the the whole uh, sheriff's department because he, you know, he pays his taxes and he's paying for their taxes to not be safe in this town. He's telling the whole bar. And of course, one guy was like, I thought you were skipping out on your taxes. <laughs> <laughs> and then he's like, no, I'm not skipping out on this taxes. You better take that back. And then, of course, we have the other officer, um, oh boy, I think his name is Owen, was his other officer, um, and he is kind of defending Joe during this whole time. Um, and then this is when we meet Marty's group. He has like a little group of Brady and Tammy. Tammy's kind of like his little girlfriend, and Brady's like his best friend. Mm, yeah, Owen is the bartender, right? Oh, wasn't the bartender? Yeah, with the, uh, the old the old guy and the, with the baseball bat. Okay, okay, yeah, 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 yeah. Owen's the bartender. He has the ba- the the baseball bat, and he yeah. calms down everybody from uh, uh, trying to fight in the bar. Yeah, he's played by Lawrence Tierney, who was in uh, uh, Reservoir Dogs. He played Joe. Okay, nice. There you go. Have you seen Reservoir Dogs? Yes, yes, I seen him. Yes. Yeah, he's the guy at the diner who's like going through the. Well, he's the one that leads them, but he's the one at the diner that's reading through the uh, address book, and and uh, Harvey Cotel takes it from him. Yeah, and he's the one that tells him to tells uh, Stu Buscemi to tip. Yeah, that's that's uh, the same guy. Nice, yeah, <laughs> that's great. So this is when uh, Marty he's talking to Tammy about Uncle Red, how he's gonna make him a new chair. He's in the doghouse a little bit for, with his with his mom, uh, Uncle Red's sister. Because if this is a third divorce, he just, you know, his life is kind of like in shambles, but he's a nice guy. Um, and then, the, you know, the girl, they come home and uh, she she basically walks, uh, Marty kind of like brings her home because the, the Tammy girl, she doesn't want to, you know, walk home alone. And of course, they're like, you could tell like they're kid dating anyway. Um, and then... The, the the girl Tammy is like yeah I keep hearing some like old like noises and and shaking coming to this old little shack over here, and then we hear this drunken her drunken dad, like Tammy, Tammy get out of here, the whole time and then she eventually goes back inside and then of course this guy like, freaking he's like oh, I hate cripples they're always on welfare and shit like, <laughs> <laughs> yeah so I'm he's like, just the, the complete, a complete asshole you yeah know? complete asshole you can tell this guy's a dick. Um, so <laughs> this is when Marty, like you were saying, like his, his like wheelchair, like he just goes to a gas station and gets that shit filled up. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> he goes to Virgil service and he gets his fucking chair filled up. Is is yep. <laughs> I wonder if he has to pay for gas. Well, I'm sure he um, does. I mean, gas gas wasn't free in 1985 either. Yeah. Maybe he gets a discount. Who knows? Maybe he gets a discount. <laughs> maybe. Virgil seems like a nice guy. Yeah. Uh, so we're in, we're in uh, the nighttime right now. And so this is when um, he, this is when we see Marty and Uncle Red, they're playing cards together. 
all right? And then they're just going back and forth, doing some jokes and stuff. And you could tell, you know, Uncle Red's just kind of like that. He's kind of like the fun uncle, you know what I mean? Well, he'll say stuff. Yes. He'll he'll say curse words. He'll say all kinds of stuff in front of the kid. And, of course, the mom is like, no, Marty's going through enough trouble as it is because of his wheelchair and stuff. And my Uncle Red's like, no, he's, he's, he's fine, you know. He's just a kid, like, you know, just make him feel like a little normal and stuff. And they're going back and forth. And, of course, you know, the sister's like, don't tell me how to raise my child and you know, there's going. You could tell there's tension between the family and Uncle Red. Yeah, exactly. I mean, uh, the way I took that, it was like, you know, his mom is trying to protect Marty, but he, but in doing so, he's making him feel like he's incapable. Yes. And and Uncle Red's just trying to make him feel as normal as he can. So the drunken dad earlier. Tammy's drunken dad. He is watching some NWA wrestling. I saw that. that. I thought that was awesome. And he's watching it. Like, I was just like picturing like, yeah, I can see me watching like this. The guy was all fucking drinking and stuff. He's like, yeah, kick some ass. Yeah, look at him go. <laughs> the the Do the rebel airplane. Rebel airplane. Yeah, yeah. I, I was trying to figure out what wrestling match this was, but I couldn't. I, I, I think mean, it I was just reason. some. It looked like some, just some like two. It looks like some dark match, to be honest with you, because I didn't really recognize these two wrestlers on here. No, I didn't either. I mean, it could have been a 1970s match, and we wouldn't have probably recognized some of the people, maybe. You know, because it takes place in 76, but I don't know. It could have been also just a regular 80s 19 NWA match that we've just never seen. And then it, it goes on like, oh, that hurts my parts. <laughs> That's my parts. And then this during this he keeps hearing noises and I guess he thinks I thought he thought it might be Marty. But he's all like there's something out there. It's like they better not be hurting my pots. Like he has like pots for his plants. It's like mm-hmm. they'll be ruining my pots in there. So he grabs a fucking um shotgun and he goes through his his like shack, his like little uh shack that has a bunch of potted plants in it. And he's walking around there. Some spider scares him and stuff. And then eventually the wolf attacks him from underneath the ground. And he pulls his body in and then he gets stabbed by parts of the ground. I thought that part of the wood stabbing his chest was pretty crazy. Yeah. And he pulls him in under there. So now, like, the townsfolk, are, they have a paper out there. And basically right now, the town, since we have about three murders so far in the span mm-hmm. of a couple months... Uh, the town folk are all not very nervous now. You know, like they lock up their shops early. They all come home. They're not playing outside that much. And we have uh, uh, canceled the, the, the fireworks show as well. So um, they go inside really quickly and stuff. So Marty is on. He's Marty is climbing a tree. All right. And he's going to go help out Brandy. Because Brandy has a kite that's up in the tree. It's left. He's trying to help him out. So yeah. he gets down the kite. He come, And then eventually Jane comes in. It's like, hey, we've been looking all the way f- all for you, um, Marty. You need to come home for supper. Okay. So during this, during this scene, um, Andy needs to go back for supper. But then he like looks at Brandy very weirdly. Because he's like, hey, Brandy, you coming? He's like, no, nah, I'm just going to play with my kite for a little bit. And he like just like stares at him funny. Like, I thought that was really weird too. Like it's it's almost yeah. like you know I like like he knew he was gonna get killed or something. Yeah, like like 
does he have like some but he doesn't do that any any other scene no no that's not in any other part of the movie like it's like at that point it's almost like he has like this premonition of what's going to happen to brady but he doesn't show that any other time yeah so this we get another scene that andy again doing what he does best complaining in the bar about all the 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 sheriff staffs and the cops and everything and the the one cop uh which couldn't get his name we're gonna we're gonna call him the jolly cop because he was like the bigger one i guess he was a slower cop he was he was going to defend joe the sheriff's honor okay and during all this stuff right before they're about to get into the little scuffle herb comes in herb comes in saying to a bar where i i I guess he doesn't go to a police station to go report his son's missing. He doesn't call it in. He goes to the town bar <laughs> and he says, my son's missing. I thought that scene was a little weird. <clears throat> like, why would he go to the, why wouldn't he go to the police station? And be like, Hey, my son's missing. Can you find him? No, he goes to the town bar. And like yeah, my I, son I is was, missing. I thought this was weird too, but <laughs> the only thing I can think of is that he, Maybe he's maybe he lost faith in the police department because they can't uh, uh, they can't protect anybody. So he wants to get the townspeople to Frankenstein the killer. Well, I guess, but because you know, eventually, like the Joe is the one that finds Brady, and of course, Brady's been killed. He's been ripped to sheds. We see like a bloody kite. Joe's mm-hmm. like praying and stuff. Herb shows up. Go passes all the cops, looks at his son, and obviously screams, and he, he sees his kid has been killed by the werewolf. And then we have a funeral section. We have a funeral for Brady, and this is when we meet the priest, which, right when I saw this priest's face, I was like, okay, that motherfucker's the killer. I mean, come on now. <laughs> all right? Let's make Come on now. Um, let's see. Yeah, it's Reverend... Uh, low, yeah, Reverend Low, <clears throat> and then so they're doing the whole ceremony for Brady and stuff. Um, yeah, so and the priest is trying to say some words to make everybody feel comfort and some comforting mm-hmm. style speech. Um, uh, and then this is when Uncle Red, uh, you know, because obviously Marty's upset because I was his best friend, he takes Marty with him onto a joy ride on his car. And Mari thinks like, hey, you know, what if like a monster is attacking this town? Because, you know, kind of like maybe like a werewolf or something because they've all been ripped to shreds and stuff. And of course, um, Uncle Red's like, nah, what are you talking about? No, it's not some werewolf. That's just all mumbo jumbo. It's just some psychopath. There's some psychopath out there just killing everybody and he'll get his, you know, because all, all right. psychopath gets, gets theirs. Right. So at this point, there is this is a fault that the movie has that the book doesn't. This is there's so right here in this this plot point, in my opinion, is the reason that a book can be better than a movie. So the book. So what we're supposed to be, I'm pretty sure, supposed to be getting out of this movie is that each each month on the full moon, one of these people gets killed around the full moon. And that's why Marty thinks it's a werewolf. But in the movie, it just makes it seem like he just pulled that out of his ass. Like he just said, hey, what if it's a werewolf? Yeah. But in the book, he actually has a reason to think that. Yeah. 
There's also an issue with Reverend Lowe as well that I'll mention later that's explained better in the book, but we'll keep going for now. So this is when Andy, he is now getting the townsfolk to hunt down this psycho. because And their plan is to go into the forest and the woods to do it. So we're seeing the town taking justice in their own hands because the police department doesn't have any leads and they don't have any suspects of who's been terrorizing the town. So this is when we get Joe and they're trying to stop everybody from going out and, you know, being a lynch mob pretty much. And they're just going back and forth between like, you know, Joe's like, you know, I am the law around here and I know you guys are upset and everything, but I am the law around here and I'm not going to have some lynch mob come and, you know, torturize this town. You know, we are, we're on mm-hmm. it. We are trying to get these leads. And of course, Andy's like, no, no, you're not. And then eventually, <laughs> you know, eventually Herb no, shows not. up. <laughs> yes. He's like, no. He's like, no. Eventually Herb shows up and he goes, it's like, I just got done burying my boy. My boy was ripped to pieces. Ripped to pieces. How about Joe? How about you go to my boy's grave and explain to him where's the justice at? The only justice is uh, private justice. And then he rounds up all the town folk and they all go spread out and they all go into their cars and get their shotguns and they're going to be go hunting for some psycho. Yep. That and was a great rendition of that, by the way. I, pre- I like that. I was good? I did good, huh? I yeah, just came yeah you, did a good, you did a good reading of that line. It was good. Yeah, buddy. It just came with all in my head. Um, and then during this part, too, like the, the, the preacher was trying to stop everybody. And he was like, you know, trying to like, hey, don't do this, don't do this, don't do this. And he goes up to uh, Joe, and then Joe's like, this is all that town unity crap you're talking about. I thought <laughs> 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 oh, that part was funny. Town <laughs> unity crap. Yeah, all this fucking crap. Uh, let's see. So this is when we have the townsfolk. They, they're in the woods. They all and one one small part I thought was funny was Andy like I don't know if it was his family or whatever but it was like oh thanks for showing up we're about to be the last ones out here. <laughs> <laughs> this reminds me if my family was gonna do like some sort of like lynch mobbing or whatever like <laughs> fucking my mom and my freaking uh, girlfriend it should take take forever. I was like come on guys we're missing the fun you don't need to get your hair done like we're trying to do a lynch mob <laughs> good thing we got out of here. <laughs> <laughs> yes it's like come on we're yes, trying to get this right. monster you gotta take him forever <laughs> so this is when we see like some uh, guy gets his stuck foot in a trap uh, twice and then we don't see him again that's about it and then Andy he leaves a, he leads a group into a fog a fog like structure did I say that right a fog a fog like structure was structure is that is that WWF enough for you a fog-like that's structure. D- that, a fog-like structure. Yeah, it's it's uh, that's that's very good. So it looks like they're walking through a swamp type thing. Yes, which is a swamp-like clearly structure. inside. Like you can clearly tell this is in, in, a, in a studio. This is not shot on location. Yes. And <laughs> at first, it sounds like I'm sure we should be going in here and stuff. And they're like, no, nah, no, nah, just uh, does it go through? You know, we'll, we'll, he's definitely in here. And then this is a, have you ever told anybody this line, Allison, the line of like, so let's say you're scared, right? The guy's like, this guy's scared. And this girl's like, it's like, you better not lemonade your pants. 
<laughs> I forgot about that. Yeah, make sure you don't lemonade your pants. Yeah, I'm go. not scared. I was like, fucking <laughs> lemonade your pants. What the? Oh, I get it because it's yellow. I got you. Yeah, I've had too much beer, so I got to go lemonade. <laughs> yeah, let me go. Let me go drop off some lemonade, guy. Uh-huh. Let's drop off some lemonade. I mean, if if you're if you're lemonading, then that means you're uh, you're dehydrated. You need to need to drink some more water so you have clear piss instead of uh, lemonade. Yeah. So the wolf is underneath the fog and it starts attacking all the townsfolk. And the biggest one he attacks is he actually attacks um, Owen. And Owen, he brought out his bat. Uh, I think his bat was the Peacemaker. That was on his bat. Yep. Peacemaker. The peacemaker. And the bat, he tries to like, he tries to like knock out the, the werewolf with the bat, but he fails. And the one guy who was making lemonade in his pants was like, oh, I'm too scared <laughs> to move. And eventually Andy, he does get away. But a couple of the townspeople have been destroyed. And then during all this stuff, we have a, which is weird because, so I couldn't tell if the, if the swamp scene and the preacher scene were at the same time or not, because we cut right to the preacher in his, the church, you know, they're all singing some songs and uh, well, actually, no, sorry. So this, this does make sense. I just debunked myself. So the preacher is in there. They're all doing some songs and everything. And then the, the, the herb is talking about private justice and laughs a little bit. And eventually all the townsfolk turn into werewolves and the preacher wakes up in a cold sweat. So this is the first sign that we can see like, okay, well, I'm pretty sure if we're putting the dots together that this preacher is the werewolf. Yeah. I thought that was really strange too, that we, that, that that early in the movie, they were uh, kind of telling us that he was the werewolf. Yes. But we couldn't tell at this particular point that if he was the werewolf and he and he, he knew it, but like he couldn't control it, or, you know, like what it seemed like he was like concerned at this point in the movie. Like he was like the regular kind of werewolf where I turn into a werewolf, but I don't mean to. It's just something that I have, I can't control. But it takes a little different turn here in a little bit. Yeah. So this is when we get the the fireworks are now canceled now because of all the killings that are happening around the town. So the mayor has decided to cancel all the fireworks. Marty's super upset. He wants to see the fireworks. Um, and this is when we get um. You know, <laughs> some of the stuff is saying like we have like a curfew that the that the the mayor and the sheriff is putting around the town. And they are begging people not to leave the town as well, too, because they don't want a mass exodus to the town because then it'll become a ghost town. Mm-hmm. So Which this we can't have, right? Yes. So mm-hmm. this is when we have Marty and we have Uncle Red. They're kind of like talking about the events. Apparently, um, Tammy, uh, since her dad got ripped to shreds, left town, I guess, with the mom or the uncle and stuff. So she's not around anymore. Brady's obviously been ripped to shreds as well, too. So, you know, Marty doesn't really have a lot of friends right now. I guess the only friend he would have is Uncle Red. And then Uncle Red shows him and he makes him a super bike. Kind of like a wheelchair motorcycle gimmick. Yeah, this thing was amazing. Yes. Called the Silver Bullet. Called the Silver Bullet. Mm-hmm. And he takes it out for a test drive. This guy's like flying through everything. This guy's going faster than some cars. It was crazy. Yeah, I'm pretty sure we're starting to get into the territory of legality here. I'm not sure yes. that this new wheelchair is street legal. Yeah, well, I I did like it where Uncle Red's like, 
do you have a pilot license? Because <laughs> this thing is going to go uh, so fast, it'll probably kill you. Yes. He's like, no. I was like, okay, that's fine anyway. <laughs> well, and then he looks around like, okay, everybody is eating barbecue. Let's go. Let's go. <laughs> and it was weird because like, I, it, so apparently, so after Mari was done riding the bike and he's okay and everything, like, I swear Uncle Brad's like, okay, I need you to hide this from your parents. But then he just like drives around with it normally in front of his parents, like no problem. So maybe he can't go yeah, on the road yeah. with it. Maybe he could just drive around his his house with it. Uh, yeah, maybe. Um, but he clearly goes on the road with it. <laughs> and uh, uh, so apparently, before they 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 uh, Marty goes on to the, his first ride, our boy uh, Uncle Red's line is like, "Oh yeah, I feel like a virgin on promise night." <laughs> okay, so this is when. After dinner, riding the bike, they're all done with the barbecue. Uncle Red is leaving. He's like, hey, Marty, I got a present for you. So he gives Marty some fireworks. He is like, these kind of fireworks and this kind of fireworks. The main one is like, hey, this is a rocket. Use this one very carefully. And hide it in the bushes so that your mom doesn't see it and stuff. And he's like, sweet. <laughs> so he leaves and everything. Marty sneaks out at nighttime. Uh, he goes to some random place that he can just do fireworks and nobody hears it. And while this is happening, the werewolf is eyeing him up. And I thought that scene was cool with that werewolf behind, this, behind the bushes and stuff, kind of like stalking Marty oh, yeah. and everything. Very yeah, fun. really cool. And then eventually the werewolf appears and he starts running at Marty. And Marty's like, oh shit, well, I got this rocket that, I, that, that, uh, that Uncle Red uh, gave me a hint of what to use in an earlier scene. So now I'll use this because th- this this rocket was emphasized at an earlier scene. I will now use this rocket to shoot out this werewolf's eye. Yes, so he shoots- it was emphasized how dangerous it was. Yes, so he shoots a rocket, and I like it how the rocket, like it was like the bat part, the bat, the back part of the rocket went into his eye, and it was weird yeah. too because like, like it didn't even explode. Or maybe did it explode in his face? Or maybe he took it out? I don't know. Because the rocket was in his eye and he was they were you know, chasing back and forth and stuff. And eventually Marty gets away and he jumps into his house and he escapes. But we never did see the rocket explode um, mm, on true. the werewolf's eye. So maybe he got it off out in time. Uh, maybe. But it did its business. It got him away from the werewolf. Yes. And then Marty calls up Uncle Red saying like, I saw, saw the werewolf. I saw it. And of course Red's like, oh, you just had a bad dream. And you know, just uh, got to sleep and stuff. And then some girl comes up. It's like, who was that? He's like, oh, some guy telling me some crazy stories. <laughs> <laughs> so this is when we have um, Jane. Um, she, this is like when we have, she's like checking out, you know, Marty's outside and Jane checks on him. And Marty's like, hey, you know, Uncle Red's not really believing me in this stuff, but like, I swear, I know what I saw. I saw this werewolf and stuff. And yeah. so the big thing, Mario's like, listen, if you go around town, just find somebody that has like an eye injury and they'll prove my story because I shot him in the eye. And, you know, if you see somebody with the eye patch, then, you know, I'm telling the truth. And Jane's like, OK, whatever. But I ha- she basically has this idea of collecting bottle caps and collecting like uh, bottles and, and stuff for, I guess, a church drive. So she was going to use that. Um, to gain those bottles and check out the whole town. And, of course, she's going throughout the whole town. Nobody has any eye injury at all. They all stare at her weird, too. This is a weird town. 
It is a very it's yeah, it's yeah. a very weird Stephen King type town. Yes. Yes. Uh, so she stares at everybody's eye. I mean, the parts of the <laughs> that when they were like go really slowly on people's faces, showing they didn't have any <laughs> eyes, were kind of neat. I thought some of them were yeah. pretty funny. Some of them were kind of neat. Uh, but eventually, just like she's like, listen, I, I don't know why I believe this Marty guy. He's just talking nonsense and stuff. And so she eventually goes to the the preacher, and uh, she's like, hey, I'm gonna drop off these bottle cans and stuff. And he's like, okay, yeah, just put up your tally and stuff. And then we see he's doing some gardening. And he looks up and he has the eye patch. So now we have mm-hmm. it confirmed that the Reverend is now the dangerous werewolf. Yeah, but she doesn't seem to figure it out. No, she doesn't figure it out yet. But when she's in right. the uh, the the garage of bot- putting all her bottles and caps in there, um, she finds the, the bat, the peacemaker bat, torn to shreds. And then the Reverend comes up behind her saying, you need some help. And she's, she sees that now the Reverend has the eye patch. So she's like, oh shit, this fucking Marty guy was correct. And he's so, like, go ahead. As I said, so she, she, I can't remember. So she believes him at that point. Yes, because she, okay, because she saw the bat all chewed up, and she saw the guy with the eye patch, you know, the, with the, the reverend eye patch, and now she's like, oh crap, Marty was telling the truth because I found somebody with the eye patch. Okay, so in the book, this is a little different too. So in the, in, in well, this is just a condensed version of it, I guess, but. So the like one thing you might get you might ask about this is since this is such a small town, why do they not know? Like why why do they not? How do they not figure out that the, that the the preacher is the werewolf? Well, this town um, was just like they 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 could never think that a preacher who was their uh, tr- uh, you know trusted loyalty spiritual teacher could be such a dangerous demon. Well, yeah, of course, but I mean, in the book, the reason that Marty takes so long to figure it out is because um, Reverend Lowe is a Lutheran minister and Marty's family is Catholic. And that's explained in the book explicitly. Like they go, they go to a Catholic church. So she's collecting bottles for a Catholic church instead of, they don't go to Reverend Lowe's church. Um, So they go, they go to a Catholic church. So they don't ever see Reverend Lowe is, is why it takes so long for Marty to figure it out in the book. Because remember it takes a whole year in the book for this to happen. Gotcha. Interesting. Yeah, this one they didn't they didn't really they didn't really like say if Marty or Jane even went to church. I mean, obviously Jane, she, she, the only church stuff we got with them was her collecting the bottle caps for collecting some the of, bottles. Yeah, yeah, for some sort of bottle stuff. And I, which, is there, which they seem to do nothing with because it just fills this entire garage full of bottles. Yeah, is there is that like some sort of werewolf thing where they need like cans and shit like that? Is it, <laughs> I don't I don't think so. I, I think it's like. Uh, I, I I took it as like he, she's, you know how you can recycle stuff and get money for it. Yeah. Or up north, especially like because this, this is supposed to take place in Maine, so they probably have, have this in Maine. But like uh, up northeast in the northeast area of the country, they have like um, you have to put a deposit on a bottle. Mm-hmm. And Michigan's the same way. Like you have to when you buy like a Coke or something, you pay a f- like five cents or ten cents or something extra. And then this was definitely a thing back then on glass bottles. And then you paid extra for it. And then when you brought, then you brought the bottle back and it gave you like the 10 or five cents back or whatever. So I think that's what she's doing is she's collecting bottles that they're going to turn in to get that people didn't turn back in and just threw away. Cause some people think it's not worth their trouble to get five or 10 cents back. So she's collecting all these bottles 
and then they're going to go turn them in and get the the deposit back on all of them and give it to charity or something. That's what I took out of that. They don't really explain that, but that's what I took out of it. Yeah, or maybe go into the church fund, brother. Or maybe go into the church fund, yeah. And then eventually, <laughs> the fund. eventually when Jane leaves the preacher's sight, the preacher goes, give my best to your brother. So he knows. He knows that she knows that he knows that yes. some, something's going down. So yes. Jane tells Marty about the priest. And <laughs> this part was pretty funny to me. She's like, well, what are they going to do? It's like, my, I got an idea. So fuck, you know what Marty's idea was? He's going to write a fucking Zodiac note to the preacher saying, I know who you are. <laughs> Sorry, I didn't even think about that. It is like a Zodiac note. <laughs> it's that gimmick where, you know, you go through the newspaper and you just put like... <laughs> This fucking crazy kid right a fucking Zodiac. We found him. We found the fucking Zodiac. This damn kid, Marty. <laughs> and he yeah, cut out all the letters. I mean, I can't even imagine yeah. how fucking tedious that would be. Like, I can't find another R. I got to go buy another newspaper. Yeah, exactly. Damn it. Got to go get the funny <laughs> section for this R I need. <laughs> uh, so another funny part, too, is so, you know, sometimes when I watch movies, I like to see like the background. Like the names of stores and stuff. I don't know why that just entertains me. The name of stores on movies. Right. So when they're like dropping off the letter <laughs> to go send to the priest or the Zodiac letter, there's a store right behind her that said, Sick Room Needs Store. What? Sick Room Sick Needs. Room Needs. Sick Room Needs Store. What is that? What I don't know. I, I, I'm, guess, I, I'm guessing it, it's like for a hospital, like... Or if you're sick and you need like, you know, like heating pads or something like that, maybe that's what it's for. Maybe it's like a med. I don't know what it was. It said sick room needs store. Like, what? I, what? I have so no weird. idea what the fuck <laughs> it is. Weird. I, I, I'm just imagine just walking around the town. Okay, we got okay, we got Starbucks. We got McDonald's. Sick room needs store. What the fuck? Yeah, does let's, that go, mean? let's go. Let's go shop at the sick room needs store. Like, let's get some sick, sick room stuff. So, we need that. sick room, like a hospital room. Is it my room? Is it uh? Is it the barn? Is it the the, the, the where, where is this sick room at that I need? Okay. <laughs> the 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 reverend he reads the zodiac note, so now he knows mm-hmm. some shit is going down. And then yeah. we have Marty, Jane, and Uncle Red, and now Marty and Jane they didn't want to go to the police with this story. Because it's a wacky story. They can't go to the police. So who do they go to? They go to Uncle Red. And then of course, because Uncle, Uncle Red's the most trusted person. Yes. Uncle and I Red, think the note tells him to kill himself, doesn't it? Probably. Yeah. So he is like, what is going What? I can't believe what I'm hearing. I got these kids sending death threats or stuff to the preacher and stuff. <laughs> like, I don't need part of this. Like, they're like, no, no, he's a real werewolf. And then he drops a Hardy Boys reference that, you know, that book, the Hardy Boys did you ever read those mm-hmm. books, The Hardy Boys? Yeah, when I was a little kid, I did. Those were like the kids who were like adventurous, right? They're like the adventurous kids. Yeah, kind of. Like they're, yeah. So this is, yeah, this it's, yeah, they're like kids who are like solving mysteries, kind of. Yeah, and then like, you know, Uncle Red's like, listen, I know Marty's a little wacko when it comes to some of this stuff, but I didn't think this out of you, Jane. And Jane's like, well, you know, I saw the eye patch and I didn't see the bat and everything. He's like, oh, I bet you didn't really see a bat. He's probably just all broomstick. So, you know, you could tell, well, first of all, you could tell that Gary Busey was ad-libbing everything in this. That's for sure. Yeah, and then, sure. And then you could see, like, he's basically just not believing the kids. He still thinks it's a psycho, but he is, like, willing to play along a little bit with them. But he's trying to, like, debunk everything that they're saying. 
So this is when we see, this is a weird scene. So we don't really have, the movie at this point didn't really explain, like Marty seemed happy the whole time. You know what I mean? Like he didn't mind being in a wheelchair. He's climbing up trees. He's playing with his friends. He's driving around his wheelchair all fun, just hanging out. And then randomly we get him watching kids playing baseball and he's just staring out of their legs. So it's like, okay, well, I guess maybe deep down he really wants to walk, which I get. But well, like, I'm sure he does, yeah. But just like, we've we never really seen him like like depressed about his actual handicap that he has until this moment. Right, exactly. So it just, it just kind of came out of like, they didn't really like lead up to it. Just like, boom, here it is. He's sad. Okay, well, he wasn't sad earlier when he was like flying around this bike and stuff, but he's sad right now. Okay. Mm-hmm. So, and I could take it where maybe he's sad because he doesn't have his two best friends because one of them got murdered and the other one moved around, moved out with his girlfriend. So I can see why he's sad there. Um, but this is when the priest, he pulls up and now he's stalking him. And so the priest pulls up, stalking him and everything. And he starts to follow Marty throughout town. And eventually his plan is to run Marty off the bridge. And it fails. Marty is too smart for this preacher <laughs> to, to run him off the bridge. And eventually this whole chase scene. And eventually Marty ends up in like some sort of like old barn that's like near the water. And his wheelchair has run out of gas. It's on E. Mm-hmm. And then this is when the preacher shows up. And he says, listen, Marty, I'm sorry about this. You know, I, I would never willingly kill a child but i can't have you (laughs) (laughs) but i can't have you out here telling everybody this is this is what i am i am i'm doing this to cleanse the world i am this this werewolf demon and i'm doing this for some religious purpose this is what what uh this is what i'm here in this 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 earth to do is to cleanse this town and stuff so we now we realize that the the reverend he is in on it. He is not a yes. uninnocent victim that he just has some disease. Yeah. He he knows he's, he's a werewolf and he knows he's killing this town for religious purposes. Yeah, he's the bad guy. He he would never n- willingly kill a child, but I'm going to kill you, Marty. Now, do you count <laughs> this as a turn because, you know, in an earlier scene he was in a cold sweat. Uh a turn. Well, I would not call it, well, no, I would not call this a turn because he was bad the whole time. Okay. But it's weird because but it's, why it is did kind he, of a turn. Why did he wake up in a cold sweat caring about the town then, turning into werewolves when he didn't give a fuck about him? He was just killing him anyway. I don't know. Like, I, I do, like, I think that was just a swerve. Like, that was written in there just so that we would, uh, we would not. Immediate, maybe immediate, not immediately think it was the as the, the preacher as the as the werewolf. Although it's pretty obvious that he is. Yes. Right when I saw the guy's face, I was like, I know the victim. I know the killer. So this is when Mr. Zimmerman is doing some lawing, and they're like, and the Reverend says, like, oh shit. And then Marty's like screaming his name, screaming his name, and eventually the preacher hides into the uh to the dark. And now we get a scene back with Marty. Jane and Uncle Red, and they're talking about the priest trying to run Marty off the road. And of course, Uncle Red's like, no, he's not believing it. He's like, not believing it at all, not believing the whole story. You guys are just making this stuff up. And then eventually he looks at Marty's um, motorcycle silver bullet machine 
And he asks, like, what color is the priest's car? And it's like, it's blue. And he's like, huh, interesting. So now this is when Red goes and tells Joe about the whole story that the kids tell him. Which is weird because the... So what I'm guessing is Red told him everything. Like, hey, Reverend Lowe is a werewolf. He's the one that's been killing everybody on every moonlight. He tried my 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 unc my um my nephew Marty. He found out that this guy was a werewolf. He shot him with a rocket. Then now the reverend's trying to kill him, and he's trying to get him off the bridge. And he's a werewolf. And of course, Joe is looking at him like no. But we don't really hear Uncle Red explain the whole story to him. We just see the the, the part of Joe looking at him. He's like, you believe all the story? But my thing is like, well, why didn't why didn't um. You know, if he thought it was like a like a, a weird story or something, why didn't uh, uh, Uncle Red just say like, "Hey, this this preacher has it against my kid for some reason. He's trying to run him off the road. Can we like get him?" Well, he may have. That's what I was thinking. Is maybe he just told him that the that the that the minister was trying to kill was what tried to kill Marty, and that he's the one that he thinks he's the one that's killing everybody, and that he just didn't believe him. It's possible. He may not have mentioned the werewolf part. I don't know because don't really the way the doing. way that Joe looked at him, it looks like he did mention the werewolf part. Well, but I mean, you know, he would. I mean, also looked like at him that way. You know, if you told him the minister who was, you know, this upstanding member of the community, yeah, um, was a killer, like he might think that was crazy too. Could be. Well, Joe, Ray was like, "Can you at least look into it?" He's like, "Yes, I can make that happen." So Joe is now going to investigate. At least he's going to investigate the the. The, the the reverend so yes. this is when joe goes out there he's walking around the reverend's church looking around looking around goes into the garage with all the cans and then he eventually runs into the priest and they're like hey what are you doing here it's like you now they're going back and forth and everything and then eventually like the joe's getting some weird vibes it's like hey i'm gonna need you to come downtown with me and this is when we have Reverend Lowe turn into the werewolf at will. There's no moonlight. There's no nothing. He just turns into the werewolf and he attacks. Yeah, he doesn't. Okay. Right. He doesn't require a full moon or anything. Yes. He attacks Joe with the bat. He doesn't even use his claws. He just fucking beats him down with the, with the peacemaker bat. So, so we actually get um, a story. All right. Mm-hmm. So we have Marty, Jane, and Red again. All right, they they are talking about like, hey, look, look, look what happened. You know, this is a true story. This is what's happening. Like this Reverend guy is no good because you sent Joe to go look for him, and now he's gone. Now he's missing now. And Marty's idea is like, listen, he gives this, he gives him his necklace, which I don't know where this necklace came from. I guess he just had it on him the whole time. He gives him this necklace, and he says, the one thing we could do to kill this uh, werewolf is to make a silver bullet. And he's giving it to Uncle Red to go make a silver bullet. And apparently, like, so somehow Jane explains this story about werewolf. I guess Marty has been doing, like, research on werewolves, where Mm. Reverend is a special type of werewolf where he can turn into a werewolf at any time, but he doesn't have his full werewolf powers unless it's a full moon. Okay, very so well. That's so how now we, we have an explanation for that. Yes, so now we can explain why he can turn into a werewolf and kill Joe. 
But I guess he can't use his werewolf claws. That's why he used the bat. Uh, I guess, yeah. So he pulled he he turned into a partial werewolf. Yes. He didn't go full werewolf. Yes, he didn't go full werewolf yet. Mm-hmm. So this part was also a little interesting. So randomly, Uncle Red knows where to go to make a bullet. And it just so happened that this guy wasn't an ordinary bullet maker. He was a special magic bullet maker guy who knew all about how to make special silver bullets to kill werewolves. Well, okay, it's not exactly. That's what the narrator Jan told me. Oh, I didn't remember that. Did she actually say that? Well, not word for word, but she was hinting that this guy was some sort of special craftsman. (laughs) He knew the special arts of making silver bullets randomly in this town. Well, (laughs) okay, that is kind of weird. But, I mean, like, I, I didn't think that knowing Uncle Red's personality, it didn't surprise me at all that he knew somebody that could make a silver bullet. But um, I don't know a lot about metal making or anything at all about metal making. So I don't know how hard it is to make a silver bullet. I don't know if silver is a good metal to make bullets out of. Um, But, I mean, it is a metal. So, I mean, I guess you could just melt it and then, you know, make make the, uh, you know, the uh, the bullet part. So we'll get into this a little bit later too, because we're almost we're almost to the end. But um, bullets don't really work this way anyway, like the way that they have them in this movie. Um, but yeah, he made like so they melted it, so he knew the guy that could make bullets. Like you can like like there are people that do that that can reload cartridges. Um, but it's really, it is really strange that someone that, that you would have someone in the seventies that would be making bullets instead of just buying them. Yeah. Well, remember he has a, he, 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 he sells bullets and guns, but he has a special trait as well. And so a couple of fine lines is when red goes in there, it's like, yeah, my uh, nephew's getting really big into a lone ranger. Now, can you make this necklace into a silver bullet? And Marks was like, yes, yes, I can. And then after they're done yeah. making the whole bullet and we get the whole explanation of this guy being a wizard, um, <laughs> he goes and gives him the bullets. Like, this is my finest work I've ever done here. It, it'll do really well um, to do to take down your target that you're looking for. And, you know, Uncle Brad's like, oh, it's just for show and everything. You know, what would I use a silver bullet on? He's like, he's like, werewolves. Werewolves. <laughs> killing werewolves. <laughs> So I mean, you know, I just took from that is that maybe this guy is kind of onto it, and he thinks there's a werewolf too. Yeah, no, no, no. He knew it was going on. He's made silver bullets in the past for Van Helsing to take care of evil monster creatures back in North Carolina's right. past. Perfect. Had, so now we, had... we have. All right. Well, I'm glad we're bringing this back. So now we have. We're writing backstories for characters now. So yeah. Yes. So this guy has been an armorer who's made. Uh, Silver bullets to kill werewolves before. Yes. He just so happened to re- retire in this town that a werewolf is in now. So luckily he was here, John. Mm, All right. Because if he, if he wasn't here, shit would have hit the fan. Yeah. Right. Maybe he was tracking the, the werewolf to this town. And, be, yes. and he's not, he's not, a, he needs a werewolf killer. And now he finally has one. Maybe he's actually Van Helsing, but he's retired. Maybe, maybe. 
right, so there's a, there's a bunch of things. I'm, I'm very interesting about this bullet maker. We should have a whole side movie just about his backstory. Just about the bullet maker. Yeah, yes. exactly. So now they have a plan. So the next full moon just, just so happens to be on Halloween. So we have to wait until Halloween because we cannot kill the preacher when he's half vamp werewolf. He has to be full werewolf. Now, yep. it just so happened that between this time period and Halloween, the Reverend did not try to take any kind of revenge at all on Marty, Jane, and Uncle Red or no nobody. He was just sitting there uh, reading his Zodiac notes, uh, <laughs> washing his eye, and then preparing for the full moon so he can come and attack them and take care of them. But in the meantime, everybody was just living their lives like normal. Yeah, strangely, he just kind of lays low for a little bit for yes. some reason. So we have a time jump where all this stuff happened, but no, nothing really is happening. So apparently, uh, Uncle Red has tricked his sister and his and his uh, and and then the husband of going on to a trip that he run off a magazine, but he didn't really win it off the magazine. So I'm kind of confused. So how did they take this trip then? Like, did they just drive like 10 hours or 12 hours away and get there and like they had to drive back home? Or like, did, they go to the airport? did they go to the airport? Did they go to the airport? And be like, well, we're not really supposed to be here. Why didn't they just come home? I was confused about this part. I thought about it two ways. Like, I thought that, well, maybe he just bought a, a package for them. You know what I mean? Like maybe he just spent the money and bought them a week, uh, you know, a, a vacation package for the weekend or something. But then I also thought that it wouldn't be unlike Uncle Red to just tell them they've won this trip and then they drive 10 hours away and it just gets them out of the house for 12, 20 hours or whatever. That's so the only thing I can think of. Yes. <laughs> and they actually get there and find out that they have no trips. And then they start turning around pissed off and drive back home again. So, you know, the my fears out you didn't win no trip. And he's like, otherwise, it's a full moon and your parents are gone. We can do this. Yep. So it's nighttime. Everybody's sleeping. They all just pass out. All three of them. Red wakes up. I guess he's about to shoot himself. Um, they're all like, you know, Red's basically just saying, like, listen, it's almost like 10 to 3 in the morning. You fucking kids need to go to sleep. I said I'd be up here doing your cockamamie stories. I'll sit up here and wait for the gun. But you all need to go upstairs and then boom jan sees the werewolf she's like freaks out red takes a look for a little bit he's like he's like you know i feel like something i normally feel like you know what that is i feel like a horse's ass <laughs> and then he's saying that a little bit definitely an ad lib line yeah and then the lights go out he's like don't panic he's like mine's like this is probably the werewolf is like no it's probably just some sort of short circuit and they and then eventually the wolf attacks throughout. He just comes on the side of the house, like right through the whole fucking wood and everything. Like just yeah, fucking, like the Kool Aid Man. Yeah, just puts his right through the fucking wall. <laughs> and then this guy he does a a trope that Ash took up. Mm. You know what that was? What the werewolf would just throw him into things, throw him into this bookcase, throw him into that bookcase, just keep throwing them everywhere. We're not going to rip him up to shreds. We're just going to throw him into the things. Into the wall, into the bookcases. Yes. And because this Uncle Red character is too important to rip up into shreds. We're just going to throw him around now. And the whole time, Marty's trying to get... Well, well, before this happened, Red already took the silver bullet out of the gun. And of course, when the monster attacked, the bullet fell down into a little vent thing. So Marty was trying to get the bullet. 
Eventually, he gets the bullet, and the werewolf is walking super slow to Marty, and then Marty just shoots him right into the other eye. And then we have the whole long scene of the werewolf turning back into the Reverend, and this is when uh, the Reverend wakes up for a little bit, and then he dies again. And Mara's like, you know, don't worry, it's all gone. This is when we see a whole big, like, brother and sister scene of them, like, hugging and stuff. And that's when they both like each other and it ends. But my thing is, like, okay. So we killed this werewolf with a silver bullet. And the werewolf turned back into the normal reverend. Are they going to, like, have to, like, hide this body? Because they didn't tell anybody that this reverend's been killing people and he's a werewolf. Nobody believed them. So now they're going to think, right. well, what if what if Marty, Jane, and Uncle Red are the killers because they just killed this fucking priest? You know what I mean? Like, yeah, I was wondering the same thing, and, and they don't really tell us. Um, yeah, it just ends on a happy note. Yeah, but yeah, how do they explain that the reverend is the killer because now it looks like uncle red marty and jane are the killers yeah now they gotta like hide his body i guess like what are they supposed to say hey cop show up hey we killed this fucking priest you guys wouldn't believe this we killed him with a silver bullet (laughs) and he was a fucking werewolf i know you didn't believe me when i told you a couple months back you thought i was some crazy guy but look he's dead now look at him we killed him look at him oh there's no werewolf sign of him at all because he turned back into normal well you know that's what happens when you kill (laughs) oh shit (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> like what the fuck what are they supposed to explain like if it, i was uncle red this, i'd be like we should have like done this different <laughs> we should have done this different <laughs> maybe the uh maybe the sequel to silver bullet maybe silver bullet 2 is uncle red jane and marty go on the run because the townspeople <laughs> think they're uh they're killers now yes. but they're acting they actually go on the run with the uh the wizard silver bullet maker and then he makes silver bullets yeah the wizard so that he, he makes bullets for them to kill other werewolves yes that's how we. That's why you silver bullet two on the run. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Oh god. Yeah. But I, I was, other make... than other than some like weird like plot holes in the movie, I thought it was pretty good. I would say the movie was. Oh uh, yeah, I mean I liked it a lot. It was it was very uh, popcorny. Yeah. You know it's a, it's a, it's pretty much a popcorn movie, but it, I mean it's good. It's enjoyable. I mean, you know it's it's enjoyable in the same way that Lost Boys is enjoyable. I mean they're both really good movies for what they are you know they're not going to change the world or win best picture or anything like that but they're both good movies both very good movies i would say so well everybody that has been the retro blood silver bullet continuing our universal monster month here on the retro blood talking all about werewolves and and silver bullets and helsing and all kinds of crazy shit So join us here next week as we finish up our month of May, Universal Monster Months, as we dive in to the mystery of the mummy, as we do Dawn of the Mummy. Yep. Now, when I saw a little preview of this Dawn of the Mummy, it looks like it's a very old school type of mummy that we're going to be seeing. But, you know, the mummy... kind of classic. The mummy movies in the 80s weren't necessarily the most breakthrough, uh, you know, like breakthrough thing you can ever see. So this is going to be a fun one, though. It looks, it looks a little campy, which I can't wait. So that'd be pretty fun. We'll talk about some mummies. We'll talk about Dawn of the Mummy and what was happening around the release date of that film as well. Mm-hmm. But um, before we head out of here, Allison, how about I pick the track? I got to pick a track from our boys over here, Razor. Yeah. How about we do... 
god, this is a good one. Which one? Um, how about we do instant death? Instant death, perfect for this movie. Perfect, uh, because when that werewolf comes, unless your name is Uncle Red, Marty, or Jane, you're gonna have instant death on your brother. Yeah, instant death. I also thought it was weird in this movie how Marty shot him in both eyes. Yeah, yeah. point. Well, you know, you got to have him in the bad eye, then you could get him in the good eye. You know what I mean? Right. You could have just shot him in the face. He shot him in the left eye and then the right eye. Yeah, and it and, and it was kind of weird to like, well, Marty, he apparently has perfect aim. Like, we never see I was him. I say, shoot. Marty's like a really, yes. really good marksman. <laughs> yes. Did we see him shooting? I don't remember him shooting any like arrows or like BB guns or before this movie. He just so happened to be a great uh, 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 shooter, marksman. He's, <laughs> yeah, he's, he's great. Yeah, he's very, very good at that. <laughs> yes. All right, buddy. We're heading out of here. This is Instant Death by Razor. Yeah. We'll check you guys out later here on the Retro Blade. Yeah, see you all next week. You're not the chance.